Good morning. I hope you're having a good morning. Today, I am very excited to start talking about the Christmas story. In the Jesus series, I have been... I started it and I was close enough to Christmas. I think I started the Jesus series following... Christ's life and ministry chronologically across all four Gospels. I think that was October, and I knew I was close enough to Christmas that if I just started at Jesus' ministry come December, I could go back and do the Christmas story in this season. So that's what I'm so happy to finally be here doing. So I, I'm going to start with Mary. We couldn't have Christ without Mary's willingness to take on this task of being the vessel that not just birthed the Messiah, but raised the Messiah, protected him, uh, comforted him, taught him. Uh, he was fully God and fully man but he one of the reasons he came was to be tempted in all points like as we are he was he came to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities he came to experience everything that humans experience and as a mom or an auntie, or a grandma, or a godmother, or whatever role you play in a newborn's life, as soon as that poor baby is born, he is, he or she is born into discomfort. They come out of this lovely, quiet womb, and they experience hunger for the first time. Their little digestive systems are starting to operate after being fed nutritionally by the mother in utero and so now that this little baby has uh, we call them uh, you know we say the baby has gas or we've got all kinds of names but anybody with digestive issues knows that that is a very uncomfortable thing and so Jesus came to experience all the pain that humans experience because when humans even the pains they don't remember like teething you know I don't remember teething I don't remember learning to walk but I experienced pain as I developed as I went through those things I developed skills for handling pain for self-soothing for comfort and so Jesus wanted to be able to say, I am touched with the feelings of all infirmities. And so even though he was fully God and fully man, he came to be a baby, to need to be, to learn what was hot, what was cold, what to stay away from, what makes you trip, how you stay upright. And Mary would be the guardian, the guide through this part of his life 
and what a what an amazing person Mary was and and as we read through Jesus life we find references to Jesus where um it says she pondered these things in her heart these you know she had this experience we're going to read about in a minute she had this experience with an angel she knows how this baby came that she was a virgin and life though is just life even for Mary life is life there's financial trouble there's bills to meet there's uh cooking and cleaning and laundry life is life and so when you have a call of God on your life and you're just doing life sometimes you you pause and question am I doing the will of God right now like is this mundane routine life the purpose of God is is this the will of God the plan of God am I living in it is this was that experience I had with God real and we find multiple scriptures where Mary says she pondered these things in her heart uh I want to talk about a scripture that is doesn't necessarily seem to be part of the Christmas story but to me it is and those are the verses that talk about Jesus being from the foundation before the foundation of the world so we've got prophecies um, I mean we've got writings in the New Testament in prayer in John 17 24 in prayer Jesus says for you loved me before the foundation of the world and that's a powerful and important thing you loved me before the foundation of the world and then Another verse that we have in Ephesians 1, 4, Paul is writing and the Apostle Paul says that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And when the scriptures talking about Christ before the foundation of the world the foundation of the world was in Genesis 1 1 and 1 Peter 1 20 in talking about Jesus Peter says who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you Revelations 13 8 talks about Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And these scriptures are important because Christ was always a part of God's plan. Uh, Last week, I had the amazing opportunity to be in Italy. And while, while I was in Rome, we went and uh, hired a tour guide to take us through the Vatican and it was a wonderful experience and I have seen 
several documentaries. I am a documentary junkie. I have seen several documentaries about Michelangelo and and his paintings and his sculpturing sculptures and so I was very excited this to see the Sistine Chapel. Um, I, th- I think this was my third time to see it, but this was my first time to have the tour guide explain some hidden meanings in the fresco on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. And one of the things that was, I I don't know why I've never heard this concept before. I've watched, you know, in documentaries, you'd think they love to to talk about conspiracies or hidden meanings and symbolism. None of this was ever mentioned there. Um, And I've not personally done study on it. I'm just going to relay what my tour guide mentioned. And she, the, the portion of the painting in the dead center of the chapel, there is a depiction of God giving life to Adam. And the the fresco is called the creation of Adam. And it is God. And he clearly is in, looks like he's in some type of heavenly place. It looks like there are angels or cherubs or something around him. And he seems to be in like a red drapery majestically uh, in this half shell situation. And he's reaching his finger toward another man and the other man is supposed to be Adam reaching back toward God and you know these two fingers especially this arm and and hand and fingers reaching to touch each other that depiction is you know on bath soap and in home goods and Dollar Tree I mean it's everywhere but it is a very special uh, painting that was done between 1508 and 1512. So this was the first time, partly because the tour guide pointed it out, but also because I'm older, I could see it. <laughs> by, by being older, what I mean is my eyesight is not as good. Things are more blurry. And for some reason, I could see for the first time that that what I in the past I had always seen was like a half shell or a red drapery that was behind God with all of those heavenly beings you know for the first time I realized as the tour guide also told us that Michelangelo used the human brain as a backdrop to hold God. And sure enough, you can take a brain and mirror it right on top of Michelangelo's uh, depiction. And she went on actually even to describe that if you, it, it also looks like a womb and the God's hand reaching out toward Adam looks like an umbilical cord reaching toward what is being given life, which is Adam. My mind was blown. And the craziest thing is when you turn his painting and look at it in a different position, if you, if you turned it up and down instead of side to side, it looks like a heart. 
oh my goodness. So I was like so impressed with Michelangelo. But here's what, why that ties to this Christmas story. Because Michelangelo was painting this, this scene. And he evidently had knowledge of these scriptures that talk about Christ from before the foundation of the world because he depicts those heavenly beings that I thought were angels. The tour guide explained that Michelangelo was actually painting God's full plan. There's a woman that's depicted in that scene and the tour guide said that's representative of Eve. God already had Eve in mind. God already had the prophets in mind. The 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 other people in in this painting were were meant to depict prophets and and uh, kings that were to come, and Christ, and that is truly what was going on from the foundation of the world. Christ was a plan. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God himself took on human flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Jesus Christ was the one who was preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world and received up into glory. And 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, this is God manifest in the flesh. So how was Christ existing from the foundation of the world? John, we often call him John the Beloved because he always refers to himself in, in the book of John that he wrote as the one the Lord loved. So John the Beloved writes in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Now, in this English language, the word word is capitalized and is presented as a proper noun, just just like a name. It's a, a proper noun. So in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. All things were made by who? God. Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All things were made by him, by God, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then John the Beloved talks about John the Baptist for a few verses. And then we get to John 1 14. The word was made flesh. Who was made flesh? The word. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We are talking about Jesus Christ and we beheld his glory. Now, let me point out that this word, word that John used, of course, we're reading, I'm reading English, but this was presented in the Greek language. And the word word, the Greek word is logos. 
And logos means a word uttered by a living voice embodies a conception, a conception or idea. A word uttered by a living voice embodies a conception or idea. So in the beginning was this this conception of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. This idea, this plan was with God and the word was God. And so we are able to see how Christ was always a part of the plan. When when John the Baptist came, John said Jesus was before him. How was Jesus before him? John the Baptist was was older than Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist started a ministry before Jesus Christ started his ministry. So what did he mean when he said Jesus was before him? Jesus himself makes the same claim that he is that eternal God manifest in the flesh. Jesus says in in John 1:48 to Nathanael, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Nathanael's mind was blown by this, that that Jesus had this ability to know him before he physically knew him. And then in, in John 8, 58, Jesus says about himself before Abraham was, I am. And the significance of Jesus saying before Abraham was, I am, is because when Moses was talking to God, when God was manifest in the form of a burning bush, God said to Moses, I am that I am. This is what you're going to say to the children of of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And so this word I am, now we're talking about the Old Testament, which means we're talking about our English language being translated from Hebrew. And this word I am means to be, become, come to past, exist, happen. This is, this is the future. You're able to say I am, God is the I am of the future. What is going to come to pass? What is going to exist? What is going to happen? But I am is also translated as to abide, remain, continue. That's present tense to stand, lie, be in, be at, be situated, to accompany, be with. And then it goes on in its definition of to occur, come to pass. Now we're talking about the future, to be done, be finished, be gone. When Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, he was saying, I am the past, the present, and the future. Jesus Christ was claiming to be God. Almighty God had a plan to fulfill from the very beginning because he was wise enough to know that he was giving humanity and in giving humanity freedom of choice that humanity would likely at some point choose to not have a relationship with God, choose to not be in relationship with God. And, and sure enough, that's 
so much of what the Old Testament carries. And after God's chosen people turned their back on him and began to worship the gods that the civilizations and empires around them were worshiping, God considered that a type of adultery. And God removed his hand of protection from those people and he allowed them to be treated just like the the regular people around them, the people they were choosing to mimic, the religions they were choosing to practice. God said, look, if that's what you want, then, then that's what you can have. And the Old Testament prophets, so many of them, chapter after chapter after chapter, are the prophets warning the people over and over of the doomsday and the destruction and the captivity that was to come. And in the middle of all of that prophecy, the prophet Isaiah is telling the people how they're going to be taken captive like every other nation around them, how they're not going to be able to defend themselves. God's going to allow them to experience what it's like to not have his protecting covering in hand. And in the middle of this doomsday prophecy, Isaiah shines this ray of hope. In Isaiah 9, 2, Isaiah said, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. This is about 700 years before Christ is going to be born. Isaiah is is able to experience the the insight that there was going to be a child born. It was going to be a son given. The government is going to be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This child was going to be called the Mighty God. God, the everlasting father, the son was going to be called the father. And then about 700 years after that prophecy, we get to Luke chapter one, verse 26. The angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall 
overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. I want to wrap up today with pointing out this experience that Mary had and how it is relatable to you and I and our experiences of having the Lord call us to places of purpose. In verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how shall this be? It's impossible. How am I going to become pregnant? I am a virgin. I intend to be a virgin. I am going to give myself purely to my espoused Joseph. And I want you to know that God doesn't mind our questions. That Mary asked, how can this be? That's, that is okay that we don't understand how something is going to unfold, that we would get a God idea that is bigger than us, of course we're going to have questions. And God doesn't mind our questions. And I love that the angel's response was a a wonderful sales pitch. He immediately goes into telling Mary about her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth was an elderly woman who had never had a child. She was barren. And here she was six months into a pregnancy. God had given her a miracle child and the angel gives that sales pitch. And that will happen with us as we pursue the purpose of God when we have questions about it. It is okay that we have questions. When we sincerely ask the Lord, God will present to us other testimonies of people that he has done a work for, done a work through, and he will inspire us and strengthen us by the other things that he has done. God does not mind you having questions. And here is how we see the Lord giving and making possible this impossible thing. He tells Mary, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. My ability, your ability to do the things that God is calling us to do is always going to come from our surrender to God's spirit in Acts chapter 2, when, when they had to do the work of God without Christ's physical form anymore, in Acts 2, we find that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And being filled with the Holy Ghost is what empowered those disciples to rise to the occasion and preach on the day of Pentecost and then go from there and begin to spread the gospel to the whole earth, that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And Christ had told them 
to expect this encounter with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Christ said, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. These things that we want to do, these ideas, this, these purposes, we want to achieve them, be a part of them, experience them, and they are so far out of our league. We have got to remember that from Mary, the mother of Jesus, to the disciples on the day of Pentecost, to us here in this modern time, the Holy Ghost has to come in us, on us, through us, by us. It's the Holy Ghost that gives us power. And then something that is so important to remember Even though Christ was the intention from before the foundation of the world, God still needed a person to be a willing vessel. The angel presented the idea and the plan to Mary, but he did not force it upon Mary. God is not a bully. He, he's, he's, I love the verse that says we were knit, we were formed in our mother's womb, in the, in the center of our mother. He knit us together with your DNA, your personality, your gifts, your talents. God wove them in you to be a part of his purpose, but you have to be willing to use them. You have to be the one to surrender and say, like Mary, be it unto me according to thy word. God's not going to force himself on you. He is not a bully. If you come to a place of surrender, then God can do the impossible with you. You see, God didn't need to change Mary's financial situation. Mary was not a wealthy princess. Mary was not a queen. God didn't need to change Mary's financial situation. He didn't need to give her a higher education. He didn't need to elevate her social status to enable her to fulfill the greatest occurrence in the history of earth. All he needed was her willingness. And you can fulfill your calling right where you are as well. You are not inadequate. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like you've got the right background, you've got the right race, you've got the right language. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've got the right education. None of that matters. When it comes to God doing difficult things in this earth, it is completely, completely possible because it's God who is going to do the work. You're exactly, you are exactly who God needs. All you have to do is add your willingness. Be it unto me according to your word. Thanks for joining me this morning. Please like and share this podcast. Let's grow our fellowship of believers. Have a good day.